Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, my name is Henry Terry, as we always do it. Today, I invited the global aviation expert, Sean Mendes. If you follow aviation or you've read anything about aviation in Africa, one of the names that you may have heard of is Sean Mendes. Sean, thank you so much for joining in. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Fantastic, Sean. Sean, one of the funny sides of things I want to ask you is, I've read so many things about you, your insights, your in about aviation. Can you fly a plane? No. <laughs> I think that is the last I, I, thing. I, I, I hire pilots to do that for me. <laughs> you know, I always wanted like, can Sean actually fly a plane? Because the knowledge you have about aviation, man, I think you should add flying to it and then that will be all. You you will just find everything intact. You know, it's one of those things that every child wants to wants to be a pilot when they grow up. But I was lucky enough that both my parents worked with airlines. So I saw how oh. miserable the life is for airline crew. <laughs> and uh, fortunately enough, by the time I hit my teens and it could have been a very expensive training, I was like, nah, this is not for me. So I actually studied uh, engineering, uh, aerospace engineering in my undergrad and then aviation management. So right. I've, got, I've got a technical-ish background, but uh, not in flight. Right, right, right. Sean, um, let me go straight into it. Sean, given your knowledge and your industry expertise in aviation, especially with a focus on Africa, Sean, give me the state of aviation in Africa, just briefly. How how is the state post post the pandemic and everything? How is how how, how is it, how is it looking? African aviation has actually recovered pretty well after the pandemic. Uh, if you look at IATA statistics, you see that I think we're up to something like eighty something percent of pre pandemic capacity and. Uh, passengers traveling. But if you look even deeper into the numbers, you'll find that that shortfall, that uh, 17% gap is largely coming from two markets, one being Nigeria, the other being uh, South Africa. So when you leave those two aside, actually, you see that Africa is pretty much caught up 100% to where things were before the pandemic, even though, however, uh, the losses for African carriers during 2022 relative to pre-pandemic. So it's a recovery in terms of traffic. It's not right. been a recovery on a commercial sense. Right. Sean, let, let me also ask, uh, in terms of the, the plans that the, the regional uh, sectors have put in place in terms of the Yamas record decision and the SATEM and all of that, do these strategies and implementation plans going to bring any kind of a recovery to the aviation sector anytime soon? I don't think the word soon and Yamasukuro decision should ever be uh, said in the same terms. Um, you know, if, if you look back at the history of the Yamasukuro decision, it started off as the Yamasukuro declaration in 1988. And I think 70% of Africans currently alive weren't even born then. So that kind of tells you how long we've been waiting right. for this to happen. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, how this is going to go. So 1988 was Yamasukuro declaration. 1999 was Yamasukuro decision. 2018 was SATAM. It's all the same thing, just being rebranded. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 30 something years later, we're still waiting for it to, to effectively launch. Certainly, I'm, I'm optimistic that it will transform African aviation when it finally gets going. But relying on that to be the catalyst uh, for growth and for recovery is it's a fool's error. Right. In terms of its Africa's aviation at this present moment, is there still room for more airlines? Are there is there still room for more airlines to to come in? Bearing in mind that this sector is mostly dominated by some regional, let me let me just call them regional powers. Is, are there still room for, for more airlines to, to join? And would it be profitable? Well, answer to question one: Is there room for more airlines? The answer to that is an absolute unequivocal yes. The potential for air transport in Africa 
sector is effectively infinite. There is poor ground infrastructure. There are long, large distances. Uh, you know, there there is it. It is tailor made for for safe, reliable, and affordable air transport. Now, uh, is someone able to do that profitably? Uh, there are African airlines which have been able to do things profitably in their own little nation, in their own little sector. I don't for one minute doubt that there will be an African airline in every sector who is able to bring together the right expertise, the right financing, and the right business model to crack the code. And so, yes, I believe that there is potential in Africa. I believe African aviation will continue to grow and outstrip the rest of the world pretty much. And, you know, it's just a matter of when and who rather than if tell me ghana and other african countries have failing airlines let's let's use the case of 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 ghana airways if the if the sector promises growth and it is if the sector promises all these expected targets why are the airlines failing i mean we can mention a number of airlines that are failed. let's use the case study of ghana Airways. if the sector is 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 poised for growth why are the airlines failing you know ghana is an interesting case because you can point at ghana both for the successes as well as the failures and ghana currently is you know if you if you look worldwide i mean in 2021 ghana was one of only two countries in the world which had more than a half million domestic passengers that saw actual growth relative to pre-pandemic, the other one being Russia. Uh, In 2022, Ghana continued its growth and in fact saw a record number of domestic passengers flying and a near record number of uh, international passengers as well. And that is, again, these are all-time records despite the pandemic. These are not excuses or anything else. So Ghana has actually shown that when you allow a well-run, well-funded private sector airline liberty to 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 run itself without uh well without being constrained by government policy or any other policies uh success is very easy well not e- not easy but success is straightforward to come by so i think therein lies also your answer via omission what are the current two airlines in ghana which are continuing to operate multiple years down the line one i can speak for is definitely been profitable in recent years um what what is the difference between these airlines and and failed national carriers of past Ghana Airways Ghana International Airline and two big answers I can I can tell you is number one they run independently so there is no I won't say no, but there is minimal amount okay. of strategic decision-making made without the interest of the airline itself. Right. Uh, when governments are involved in an airline, governments have different priorities, whether that's generating employment, foreign relations with specific countries, whether they be good or bad. Uh, you know, there's a wide range of policies that government has to consider beyond just the interest of one of its uh, one of its business units. So obviously, immediately you are put in a position where your interests may not be the, the primary reason driving your strategic direction. I mean, let's look at something which which a lot of people call an African success is Rwanda. Rwanda is not a success. Rwanda is an ego-driven vanity project. Rwanda actually budgets the national budget of Rwanda. Five to seven percent of the national budget of Rwanda is used to subsidize Rwanda's activities every year. About 140 something euros per passenger they transport is subsidy. They lose 140 euros on every single passenger who gets on their planes. Wow. Why do they do this? Well, I think that's a, they have a president who, if, if someone were brave enough to ask him to his face and survive, you might get an answer. Uh, I'm currently persona non grata in, in Rwanda for having raised this issue and brought it. Uh, wow. Well, my mistake was saying it on BBC. So, uh, it brought more attention to it than uh, than most other forums, but 
the reality is a lot of these are purely nationalistic, chest-thumping, jingoistic. Look, we have these lovely planes. Look, we're flying all over the place. And, uh, you know, it becomes very hard to justify, especially in an African context, when, you know, the the 200 and something million dollars a year that you're spending on that is not being spent on schools or roads or healthcare or all the other very critical and essential services that that you're getting NGO aid to provide while your own revenue is being used on, uh, you know, on, on painting pretty airbuses, simple expertise of doing global business. And, uh, you know, it's it's not just Ghana Airways, Ghana Airways, Nigeria Airways, Era Free, Uganda, Tanzania. I mean, you can you can list an African country and most likely it's had a failed national airline. Right. So would you also say, right, would you also say that the, the dominant airlines are swallowing up and making it very unprofitable for the new airlines to survive in Africa? Not at all. I don't think they're, you know, people like to consider Ethiopian Airlines as a dominant airline in Africa. But uh, you know, I'll just I'll just say this. And this is something that Tebolde, their former CEO, used to say all the time. He's like, you look at Ethiopian from an African perspective and you say, oh, my God, they're so huge. They're so dominant. But Ethiopian, well, African Airlines totally. Ethiopian, Kenya, Airways, all the African Airlines put together control about 30% of the traffic to and from Africa. And Ethiopian Airlines is not even in the top 20 airlines in the world inside. Right. So we're not looking at a large airline. You're just looking at an airline that is larger than most other airlines in Africa. And their little bit of success, admirable as it may be, is not something that has been achieved on a global scale. It has been largely a case of doing the right thing and then picking up the pieces when everybody else collapsed around them. So I don't think Ethiopian is dominant by any means. I think Ethiopian has certainly shown themselves to be stable, has shown themselves to have a a solid business model, solid expertise, all homegrown for the most part, and the ability to, you know, to compete very strongly. But uh, they are by no means dominant in uh, in Africa. In fact, the airspace of Africa is dominated by non-African airlines. Right. Sean, the government of Ghana has decided to uh, bring back its national career. I mean, um, talks has been ongoing for a while. And for the past years, those who, who studied aviation realized that there has been some open of, of tenders, bits and all of that. Which government has awarded or has given permission for um, the Zotus Group and Ashanti Airlines to operate Ghana's new carrier. From your industry expertise and your insight, what do you think of this move by government of, of Ghana? And where do you, do, you, do you see things headed towards? Well, for starters, this is not something that's been recent. I think, you know, this this attempt to restart a national carrier is coming up on about eight or nine years now. So I'd right. say for about 2014 or 2015. And, you know, and the, the, the beauty of this is that's one thing that, that both the NPP and NDC governments have, uh, I won't say agreed, but have taken taken the same misguided path on uh, is that attempting to to try and show that a national carrier is is something that probably wins them votes I guess they wouldn't right. do it otherwise so the the you know if, if you look at the history of this there has never been a real justification for it other than we should have one and you know, when you, when you appeal to nationalism and chest thumping and jingoism as the reason, as your business case, that is never a solid foundation to start. If you look through the years, and again, I, I'll name just a bunch of people who have been in discussions or have even signed letters of intent. It's been Air Mauritius, Qatar Airways, Africa right. World Airlines, uh, Ethiopian, Ethiopian, Egypt Air. Yeah. You know, that's just that's just off the top of my head. If I'm right. sure if I dig a little deeper. Yeah, yeah, correct. Forward. Egypt Air and all of the L- a significant yeah. number of 
airlines have shown interest. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been part of that process myself when I was at AWA. AWA was uh, engaged with the government in terms of potentially starting up what was then being called the home-based carrier rather than the national airline. And, uh, you know, for various reasons, uh, AWA was not the one selected. But I think what you... What you've seen over eight years has effectively highlighted the the lack of an actual business opportunity. That's not to say that Ghana doesn't have opportunities for aviation. Ghana certainly right. does. But the opportunities in the space that the government is trying to push it in terms of, oh, we should connect Ghana with London, we should connect Ghana with New York. There is not a gap in the market where a Ghanaian side carrier can come in and genuinely take advantage of, right. of a gap. Right. Uh, Ghana is, in fact, the best connected country in West Africa. There are 28, I believe, international carriers flying to Ghana, Ghana right yeah. now, which is more than any other country in West Africa. Right. Uh, more than Abidjan, more than Lagos, more than Dakar. And, you know, airfares from Ghana, even though I know they are high relative to, to elsewhere in the world, they're actually much lower than airfares from Nigeria in comparison or airfares from Senegal and so forth. So, and a, and a big reason for that, by the way, and this is going a bit off topic, is the taxes, because Ghana levies extortionately high taxes on right. passengers. If you're flying, you know, to Dubai and you're paying, uh, you know, $800 one way, a hundred plus dollars of that is going in tax. In so it's not as though the fares are that high. It's that the fact that the taxes are 15, 20, and in some case of regional flights, 50 and 60% of your total, uh, you know, of, your, of your, the total amount that you're paying the airline. But anyway, I, I, I digress over that. So the, the business case is, is severely lacking. Right. And I think that has really shown why deals with serious players like Ethiopian have fallen apart because the government has a preconceived notion that, oh, we need to do this with the national airline and serious commercial players, when they come into it, look at it and say, sorry, but that's not going to work. And eventually, you know, or oh, it's going to work, but these are the conditions that you're going to have to backstop losses or surrender control or whatever else. And, uh, you know, that's unable to to come together. So right. there's, there's a lot of reasons for this, but I think, as I said, over... Over an eight to nine year period, the inability to actually get anything off the ground has just shown there is a lot lacking in terms of their expertise to achieve this product. Right. If you look at the Ashanti Group and the Zotus Group, they are very new to the market. And in, in, in some cases, you can tell this is really their first venture in aviation. In, in, in On the aviation market, in the minds of, of passengers, how does this affect the survival and the profitability of an airline run by newbies? How does that work? I think calling it an airline is a bit of an overstatement right now. It is a paper project that I know in the case of Ashanti is coming up on six years since they tried to launch it and have still are still just stuck on paper. Uh, you know, it, it, it beggars belief how a government can enter into an agreement with a so-called strategic partner who has less experience in the industry than the government itself has. So straight up, I'll tell you that it does not bode confidence in the industry. It does. I mean, I've spoken to a lot of aircraft lessor, service providers, things like that. And the biggest question they are is, who are these guys? Um and again, if you're if you're going into if you're going into a globalized business without the expertise to play with the global players, you are going to lose. This is what has cost African Airlines before, and I have very little doubt that it will cost Ashanti unless they significantly scale up their expertise. Uh, Zotus Group is a financial investor backed by a footballer. Uh, you know, we saw how Baby Jet went and, uh, you know, it's, it's all wonderful to say, oh, the footballer is backing this, but footballers don't manage airlines. 
And, right. um, you know, it's, it's like saying this is a wonderful fish, but it can't climb a tree. Right. <laughs> so also, right, if you look at the statement by the Zotus Group, they mentioned that the, the, the business model of this proposed airline is going to be on British um, government's availability of cargo and passengers. Does this work? Is, does the British government allocate some significant number of cargo and passengers to a, sp- a specific proposed airline? No. They don't. It's rubbish. They just put out something because they had to fill space. They probably put it into an AI chat generator, and this is the nonsense that's spewed out. So if they're trying to build something on a non-existent British government handout, they're even more delusional than I thought they were. Wow. Also, also in terms of its um, roots in 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 the on uh, in Africa, let's let's just let's just assume that this airline comes in place. Sean, where do you think are the most profitable routes at the moment that this airline can, it can get this airline to survive? Look, profitability is something that is always a relative term. Anything is profitable, even with one passenger. If you've got one passenger flying from Accra to Tunisia and he's willing to pay you a million dollars for that flight, you're going to be profitable. No matter what aircraft right. you have, no matter how you fly, how often you fly, that one passenger is going to make you enough money for the year. But on the flip side, you can have humongously large markets like Accra to Lake. But the price point is going to depend on is is going to determine how many passengers are actually going to fly on that. And balancing your costs with your revenues is going to determine whether you're profitable. So simply saying, is this profitable or not? No, that's it's an impossible. It's a a bit of a how long is a piece of string question. It depends on which piece of string. Uh, What I can say is that from Ghana, the, the largest markets are obviously regional with one exception. And that one exception is the UK. But the UK is also in one of those situations where the bulk of passengers who are traveling between Ghana and the UK nonstop, and in fact, it's about 50% of these passengers, are not actually right. flying nonstop to the UK. They're flying onwards with British Airways and previously Virgin Atlantic back when they used to fly uh, onwards to, you know, to North America, to Asia, to wherever else via London. So the reality is it is the strong hub which drives traffic between Ghana and London directly. And about half the passengers who fly between Accra and London actually fly with connecting flight elsewhere because those connecting flights tend to be cheaper. And those connecting flights are cheaper for a variety of reasons, but hubs are are, are the way that, that these are driven. Emirates can fly you cheaper from Accra to London via Dubai than British Airways will fly you nonstop. And trying to go head to head with that without a similar hub on the Ghana side, a hub which connects Ghana with Lagos, Abidjan, Freetown, Monrovia, Dakar, Conakry, you know, every city down the coast, every city in the Sahel, every city in Central Africa, a strong network that is able to feed this flight to to be able to, you know, to to leverage Accra's position as the much cliched gateway to West Africa. Uh, that is the reality of it. Just building an airport terminal and attracting a lot of airlines doesn't make it a gateway. Using and leveraging Accra's geographic position and Accra's relatively good infrastructure is, is what's going to make this airline a fail or, or, or a win. The unfortunate reality, though, is that's not what the, the both the parties, I'm not going to say the ruling party because both parties have the same situation, their big donors are in are in the UK and the US. They want nonstop flights, and uh, you know they will they will continue to fund their political parties as long as they you know as long as they see this happening. And that is the scourge of democracy. Political political funding drives policy making, and as a result, uh, you wind up with a lot of failed business enterprises. And you know everything you hear about this airline, and everything I see, and you know that is also stuff that happens behind the scenes, which which I I get to know of through various contacts I have basically shows that these people are lacking a coherent, viable business strategy.
They they basically go out there and and say whatever it takes to who depending on who they're talking to. And, and this is not unique with Ghana. This is true of pretty much every government-owned airline. You have a similar thing happening in Nigeria. You have airlines in Tanzania, Rwanda, Uganda, South Africa, all national airlines, all of which are basket cases for business cases and continue to just, you know, be supported and subsidized because, well, they're there. Right. You bring up the point of international airlines, Qatar, Emirates, Delta, and all of that. What role do they play on the African route or the survivability of the of the African airlines? And in terms of these larger international airlines, are there reasons why they, some of these African routes are no longer profitable for African airlines? No. I think the, the reality is every airline is strong in its home market. And right now, the bulk of intercontinental demand on routes to and from Africa are generated outside Africa. If you look in terms of the people flying on a London to Accra flight, right. uh, 70 to 80% of those passengers are buying their tickets and originating their journeys in London. So they're flying London, Accra, London, not Accra, London, Accra. Right. And therefore, those people have corporate travel deals, have frequent flyer programs, have everything else on the other end of the route. It's the same with the U.S. There'll be Ghanaians flying. Ghanaians living in the U.S. will be flying home, but they're buying their ticket on that end. And they fly Delta when they fly, you know, from, from Atlanta to uh, to San Francisco for work. They're flying Delta. They've got their frequent flyer miles there. They're the ones who are going to book with Delta because that is their home carrier, even though they're going to Ghana. And I think that is what you need to realize, that you need to leverage your home market and your home market strengths. What can you do that other airlines cannot do? And I think this is where, and I'll speak to AWA, this is where AWA, we took a very conscious strategic decision that AWA's goal was to do what, where there would be less competition and to do it well. Okay. So AWA doubled down on becoming a dominant domestic and regional carrier, and AWA did that and did it profitably. And you mean AWA African could have gone and gotten, yeah, could have gotten triple sevens and flown to London and would have been bankrupt probably six years ago. But it's not. It's still here, ten years down the line, and it's still profitable. And I think that is where, you know, the the ability to understand what your core strengths are and not simply go into battle in a losing cause, because honestly, it will be a losing cause. And I'll speak to this from personal experience, having had to take right. Ghana International Airlines into the UK market in a losing cause. We did not have distribution. We did not have the ability to compete with British Airways for the bulk of the business that that flew on the route and that left us and pretty much true of any national airline which has to compete in these kind of routes competing solely on price and when you're competing solely on price well you know immediately your revenues are diluting and your ability to get profits uh goes away it's it's a losing proposition and you need to leverage your home markets that's that's pretty much the strength of it and i you know i can lecture on this for hours and hours <laughs> on end but right. uh that is the reality. Right. So for instance, GCAA, uh, Nigerian Civil Aviation Association, what role do they have to play? Is it just regulation? Well, their roles are clearly defined. I mean, in Ghana, GCA's role is defined by Act 678, which is, uh, you know, founds the entity, determines how it is funded, and determines what its role is. The reality is it is a regulator. It's It has, it, it, it formulates legislation so how to operate airlines safely how to train people how to do this that and the other and then enforces it to make sure that those who are flying comply with it it has an economic um 
regulations division, which ensures that there's adequate financing and, you know, that the economic aspects of, uh, of operation are complied with. But that is where it's... Uh, its its mandate legitimately stops. If you are able, if you go up to GCA and says, I have $10 million and I want to start an airline and I want, I think that that airline is going to drive traffic between Accra and Navrongo, you know, to 10 million passengers a year. GCA may disagree with you, but as long as you're doing it safely and you're using your money to do it, it's your money and you're welcome to make your own, you know, errors of judgment or, you know, revolutionize the world with something nobody else had seen. So, you know, there's there's a role. And I think GCA in particular, and, you know, I'm, I'm very critical of GCA on a lot of issues. But having dealt with uh, with regulators throughout Africa, in fact, not just Africa, throughout throughout the world, I'd say GCA is an extremely professional and decently run regulator. Now, I mean, twenty years ago, GCA was was a bit of a disaster, but I think they've really changed things over the last couple of decades. And you know, today I I have, I have no hesitation in in standing up and endorsing GCA's activities. I think they do a a fairly decent and impartial job as a regulator. They're, they're not politicized as they used to be. Fantastic. And and knowing that I, I, I once worked with GCA, I'm very happy that to 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 hear these comments about the GCA. So that's nice. Well, then, please don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't think they're perfect <laughs> by any means. I think GCA has plenty of issues. But I when know. I compare those issues to the issues of other regulators elsewhere in Africa in particular, I, I'll take GCA nine times out of ten. Right. So let's let's come to the let's let's focus on Ghana's um intercity travels in terms of African world airlines um, and there now other airlines which are passion and all of that. There seem to be also some very highly contested because there was there was Starbo which which failed. Do you have any insight why Starbo failed? Well Starbo's business model was flawed to begin with. They went in with what was cheap to acquire aircraft but not cheap to maintain aircraft. So it was wonderful when you got the aircraft initially they were fresh out of maintenance and everything else. But when you look at the fact that your two-year maintenance check for the aircraft is going to cost more than the aircraft is worth itself, you now have to find capital to invest in a new fleet. And Starbo was not backed institutionally. Starbo was backed by a collection of high net worth individuals. And when it came to having to make these large capital calls, they simply did not have the ability to do that. So Starbo had a flawed business model. Uh, it was great while it lasted, but it was something that had a had a limited window of maybe four to six years. And I think it lasted seven years or thereabouts. So uh, yeah, I think it, it I, I don't think many people were surprised with where Starbo went, it was something that a lot of us, in fact, I, I know having talked to people who were at with Starbo at their start also acknowledged that this was going to be a challenge that needed to be addressed. And unfortunately, and I don't know the reasons why, they were unable or unwilling to address it. So that was the issue with Starbo. Right. And now, now um, our, uh, I mean, African Water Line has been a test of um, endurance in terms of the profitability and all all other metrics what do you think that our is doing right and is there is there still room you know ghana very well um is there room for new airlines because in terms of their their intercity routes you think that new airlines can play in this route looking at the market size looking at the are there are there still gaps and another airline can fail the first part of the question what is africa world airlines doing right i think the answer is africa world airlines has 
had a business plan, has had a focus and has stuck to it. AWA came in with the goal of becoming a dominant regional airline and AWA's goal remains becoming a dominant regional airline. AWA has not gone out and bought long haul aircraft and started flying to London, New York, Brazil, Johannesburg or wherever else. They've looked to grow through partnerships. Uh, Again, I'll put my hand up and say that I was one of the architects of that strategy. And I think it's paid off over the last 10 years. You can, you know, you've, you've seen that while there's been Ebola, there's been COVID, there've been airlines coming and going, AWA has been there, nothing fancy, nothing flashy. You know, you're not seeing the latest factory flush new planes coming in for AWA, but at the end of the day, AWA pays its employees every month, profits are in the bank, you know, airline grows safe, reliable and affordable air transport. That's pretty much what the goal was and what has been achieved. Is there room for another airline in Ghana? Absolutely there is. And right now the problem we have both AWA and Passionair is that they've stopped growing. The market, they, you know, there was a huge amount of growth over in the post-COVID time, you know, Pre-COVID, both AWA and Passion were growing a lot. Both AWA and Passion had to park their growth plans during COVID and have not been able to get it back started. The you know, There's a variety of reasons for that. Uh, in Very complex, more than we need to really right. go into over here. Right. But uh, as a result, I estimate that even though Ghana achieved a record number of domestic passengers last year and over 800,000 for the first time ever, uh, there's probably about 25 to 30% potential being spilled in the market which means that for 800,000 passengers, you've got another 200 to 300,000 passengers who want to fly, but are unable to find flights to be able to do that. You know, there, there's there's ways in which you can tap that. You can, you can tap that on the lower end of the market, which is to go into smaller airports, to the Hoes, right. the Waz, the Navarongos, the Sunyanis kind of airports where, uh, you know, where the, where the larger airlines cannot operate. So going in with smaller aircraft, maybe higher prices, or you can go in with larger aircraft on the trunk routes, on the Kumasis, the Tamales and the like, where uh, you go in with larger aircraft and therefore cheaper seating. So there's different, there's, there is potential on both the top and the bottom end of the market in Ghana. And I'd say that potential is at least 25 to 30% of the current market right now. And there are a number of airlines who are looking to exploit this. Uh, but, you know, the catch is bringing together the expertise, the business plan. Right and the financing. And most people don't have any. Some have one. Fewer have two. I've not come across one who's had three in terms of the uh, of, of recent startups in uh, planning to start up in Ghana. And believe me, I talk to at least one a month. Wow. Wow. Sean, in recent times also in, the, in, in Ghana's aviation space, there has been a new development, which I know you know of, the rise of the private jet services, which you know, uh, Magdan Aviation has entered into that space. Sean, you have drawn many business plans. You have done, you have headed many airlines. You know the deep insights of this. Looking at Ghana's market, tell me about the private jet services. Look, the certainly there is opportunity for that. I don't think that opportunity is where the growth is really going to be. If you look at Africa and you know, Ghana in general, Africa in general, the growth is not going to come at the top end of the market. Right. The the people who are using business jets today are people, are governments, are high net worth individuals, are you know, multinational corporations and the like. For the most part, these people are already traveling and are already spending. So there is a there is a finite sized pie that you are competing with, whether that's with Emirates First Class or whichever the airline or private jet. Right. 
that pie is not growing a lot. Right. While the real growth in the African market is on the bottom end of the market. It's on the new consumer, the, the millennial who's, who's just graduated university in the, the newly economically empowered middle class who now has disposable income and you know doesn't want to sit on a 14-hour bus ride from Accra to Tamale, but would rather pay you know, 800 CDs and fly instead. That is where the real growth is happening in Ghana and happening in Africa. So certainly there will always be a, a niche for these premium high-end uh, players, but that niche is not where the real growth is going to come. It may be the most flashy growth, but the real growth is going to come at the bottom end of the market. And, you know, that's just the reality. Sean, in in Ghana, to be specific, the government's uh, you mentioned the whole airport, the Tamale airport, and now there are talks of uh, the central region and airports being built there. One, the first, my, my first question is, do you think that uh, in terms of how aviation has grown, if you look at Sunyani and what it's become, if you look at Ho and what it's become, should the government keep investing in these airports? My second part of the question will also be that, Sean, look, let's look at the cost of building these airports. You are into this space. How does the cost of these airports measure to add the cost of other airports? The building of other airports, I mean. Look, you can build an airport, but if you can't run the airport, there's no point having built it in the first place. And that seems to be the problem that Ghana Airports Company has. If you look at Tamale Airport, for example, it's a major airport. It's got a long 12,000 foot runway. You know, it's pushed how many close to 300 and something thousand passengers right. last year. So it's not a minor airport. It's got an instrument landing system. It's got everything over there. Right. Yet, this airport closes at 6 p.m. And you ask Ghana Airport's company why, they say we have no fuel to run the generator. So that is where you can you can build infrastructure, you can build the nicest airport terminals, long runways and everything else. But if you are so short-sighted that you can't resource it well enough to, to operate that infrastructure, you're, you're wasting your time, your money, and everybody else's, you're dashing everybody else's hopes. So yes, they should continue building uh, infrastructure. That is that is what government's role is. Government should, in fact, be focused on building infrastructure and creating an enabling environment for its constituents, rather than trying to get into competition with the same taxpayers, mm. whose tax money, whether it's AWA's tax money or Passion's tax money or anybody else's tax money, which is now going to be used to compete against those same taxpayers. So yes, that is what government should be doing, but government also needs to resource them. And you know, in Ghana, I, I can go on on this for an hour, but let me just put this this way. The problem with Ghana is that taxes are too high on international flights and they're too low on domestic flights. Right now, every passenger flying domestically in Ghana from Tamale to Accra, for example, pays five Ghana CDs as tax. That five Ghana CDs is supposed to pay for security, maintenance, air conditioning, electricity. No wonder they have no money to pay for the diesel generator. Double that. Five CDs to 10 CDs would a passenger even notice if their bottom line fare is 805 CDs or 800 CDs. But it doubles the operating budget for the airport company. Right. Now, that is where common sense needs to come into play and politicians need to stop playing politics by saying, oh, look, NDC remove VAT, we can't raise taxes and so forth. And that is real arguments I've heard from people in, in top jobs in ministries right. that, oh, we can't do this because that and because this. And, you know, that is where politics is 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 overriding common sense. And that is never a recipe for success. Build the airports, maintain the airports. I promise you, there will be traffic that moves. Ghanaians are traveling between Accra and Ho. They are traveling between Accra and Sunyani. They're traveling from Ho to Tamale. They are going to Wa. They are going everywhere. Right. But if you don't create the infrastructure that allows people to take them there by air, they won't go by air. But Sean, and that all, is the problem. 
also right when, when you talk about the taxes are these in terms of the government trying to motivate uh, or incentivize people to fly are, are those no reasons why the government are, are taxing the the internal flights low low what, what, what do you think but are you really encouraging people to fly at this point does that 5cd tax which doesn't allow you to keep the airport open after 6 p.m help you or hinder you Less people are flying because you're closing at 6 p.m. as opposed right. to doubling your operating budget, keeping it over to 9. And how many more people will fly in that three hours between 6 and 9 p.m.? Right. A lot more. So this is short-sightedness where you're saying, oh, we'll keep the taxes low to see what happens. But then you don't have enough money to actually operate the airport. I mean, it's asinine. It is absolutely asinine. And I have said this to them. I have gone, I mean, I've said it to finance. I've said it to aviation. I've said it to transport. I've said it to GACL, GCA, you name it. I have said it to, they all say, yes, you're right. And then nobody does anything about it. Right. Sean, um, finally, um, what do you think that Africa's aviation sector needs? I mean, aside everything we've, 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 we've we've spoken about what do you think that are the key things that will move the needle in Africa's aviation if we really want this sector to grow? If I could pick one thing that could really, if not transform, but ensure that African aviation continues to grow steadily and uh, reliably, I'd say it would be a proper embracing of, of the principles of the YD and SATAM. Right. I think that if you actually read the document, the YD and the SATAM documents, there is a lot of effort that has gone into it, and there is a framework which is actually probably the best framework as envisioned for any aviation single market anywhere in the world. And I, you know, I've I've seen open skies agreements, I've seen the European single market, I've seen ASEAN, I've yeah. seen all these documents, and SATAM is actually probably the most enlightened of them. The problem is African states, being 50 plus of them are incapable of actually interpreting it the same way and making the sacrifices that sometimes are necessary to implement it. Not if, if SATAM and YD are properly implemented, not every airline, every country is going to be able to have a national airline because you are not going to be able to be protectionist against other countries' airlines. Yes. And that's where, yeah, that's where the problem of African politics comes into it. There is a lot of tribalism, the, the politics are largely dictated by you know grumpy old men who who have personal grudges with the presidents of the neighboring countries rather than you know presidents who are accountable to the voters and uh so yes i think satam's embrace whether that comes by force whether that comes by coercion whether that comes through enlightenment um will 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 we'll make a huge difference in creating the enabling environment and then with that enabling environment the best airlines will win whether that's ethiopian or kenya airways or awa or ashanti airlines if uh, if they actually get off the ground right one of the questions um one of my listeners asked me is and sean i want i want this answer to be a yes or no does ghana need an airline no okay another question i was <laughs> Sure. That was simple. Right. Right. I mean, Ghana does not need a national airline. The government should not be involved in running of airlines in Ghana. The end. But so, you know, <laughs> in terms of this new this new agreement that the gov government of Ghana and they uh, proposed Ashanti Airline and, and, and the Zotus Group, what they, what they are doing is the government has 10% interest or shares in in the airline. And if I listen to the aviation minister, what he says is that, okay, government is not is not putting any investment what government is just the 10 percent government has it's just because of of the airline carrying the name ghana don't you think this is is, is a step in the right direction no 
Why? <laughs> I don't. I, I genuinely don't. Because what you are doing now is you're creating an you're you're backing an you're backing something that calls itself an airline despite not being able to get off the ground for the last six years. So simply calling it an airline in the first place is a bit of a is a bit misleading. But for government to have a stake in a in an industry that it also so for government to be a competitive player in an industry it is also regulating and competing against the taxpayers who are actually funding it are i mean it creates inherent conflicts of interest and it still has not identified where the need is where does ghana lack air connectivity that this will solve and that is a question which they have failed to be able to answer you ask the government and they will give you studies showing that there's no flights to Jamaica and there are no flights to Tel Aviv. But you know what? Nobody flies to those places from Ghana or doesn't come to Ghana from those places enough to make it viable. Right. So it's not as though Ashanti is going to be able to launch these and launch these profitably. There isn't any, I mean, there is not a business case for this. And no matter how much you may delude yourself, the government, there are people in the ministry as well who know this to be true, but Obviously, they're not the policymakers. The policymakers, in fact, even the policymakers have known this to be true. But, uh, you know, decisions come from above. That's, wow. that's all I can say on that front. Wow. Thank you, Sean. Um, it's been an insightful conversation. I look forward to being your passenger on an airline. Sean, thank you so much for, for, for My coming. My pleasure. Thanks it's very been, much for it's having It's been me. insightful. And um, I look forward to more conversations like this with you. Always. Thank you, Sean.